It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We need the sports news anywhere. We've got breaking news to bring you. Then get your sports anytime you want them. Big trade news overnight to discuss. Because we know you need sports all the time. A lot of movement in the rankings this week. A legend adds to their legacy. We're bringing you that breaking news right here on HQ. CBS Sports HQ, anywhere, anytime, all the time. Are you using a plunger to unclog the shake machine as in the same plunger we use to unclog the toilet? Uh, no. We're going to be opening mega good burgers in cities all over the world. Whoa! Mega Corp wants to replace everybody with robots. We got to do something. Here's your burger. That's not soap, by the way. It's maple syrup. Why? <laughs> Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Jump up, jump up. Get down, get after it. Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. You stumbled into Morning Combat, the award-winning best damn combat sports show that there ever was that has the most amount of production mistakes on a regular basis because that's the charm we bring to this operation. Hey, I'm Brian Campbell. You know me as one half of this incredible duo, the BBC with that BDE and the man next to me waving the flag of um, Cutter? Hey, it's Luke Thomas, guys. It's Luke Thomas. All right, yeah, yeah. This is the flag. Cutter, this is the flag it. of Cutter to you. What? What is that flag? It looks familiar to me. You don't know what the cedar tree is. You've never seen this before. I've seen a cedar tree before. I don't know if I've seen it on a flag. What is that? The flag? So, is that a flag of your? So this is the flag of Lebanon. Oh, shout out! All yeah, right, I got yeah, this actually yeah. in Lebanon. I got this in Byblos. Uh, which is where the Lebanese believe, and I looked this up, it's actually quite true, where the alphabet was invented. Uh, so, for example, like in Spanish, like how do you say library? It's biblioteca. There's a root word there from biblos uh, where it comes from. So, yeah. anyway, um, here we go. Well, in honor of Lebanon and the alphabet, we will be hitting UFC 296 really really hard today so if you're an mma fan and someone who loves fan subs that don't get cut off by time restraints today is your day welcome on in mikey more miles cbs sports on the ones and twos behind us luke um i'm fired up to be here i did want to ask you a couple brief questions quickly 
Uh, no, they're escaping me. I'm sure they were really brilliant, though. They were probably hilarious. Were they about Ted Leonsis and monumental sports and, and entertainment yes. m- moving the, the Wizards and the Caps to fucking Alexandria, Virginia? So what does that mean for, for DC people, for Bad the sports? News. Why? Well, so, Why? so the way it works now is the downtown center of DC is the Capital One Arena. It's where uh, the Wizards and the Caps play, at least now it turns out, until 2028 when they'll eventually move. It was, it was, uh, it's ranked number one in all of the NBA as the most transit-friendly arena because you can get there from all... D.C. itself is small. It's just 700,000 people. But the area is like five to six million. So you can just metro in, you can car in, whatever. You can do what you want. If they remove that, the, the area has struggled since the pandemic, like a lot of downtowns have. You remove the anchor of, what, 200 nights a week where you've got games to go to fucking Virginia, which, by the way, the area they're going to go to, they're going to they're going to mess that area up so bad from traffic and everything else. Um, it makes me sick to my stomach, and you know, I, 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 I will, they will not get a penny from me as a result of this. Nothing. So if uh, if Virginia is for lovers, Luke, yeah. that makes you a big time hater. Yeah, then big trust time. this hate here for out of towners. That's what I gotta say. There it is, the king of DC. No, we need a different title for that. You can't have two kings here. You know? No, I mean, no, not the king, man. I'm just, I'm just. Here's my thing, man. The last thing, I, 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 Europeans, and I'm being dead serious about this, BC. Maybe you disagree with this, but maybe you don't because the, you know, you guys used to have the Hartford Whalers. The Europeans are so much better about protecting their sporting institutions. Like, you could never move Manchester United to another city. They would be a revolt. Like, you couldn't do it. Nor could you just tear down their iconic stadiums, even when they are in need of, like, vast renovation, because these are historically important places for the community from which it comes from. In this country, everything is just up for grabs to the highest fucking bidder at all times, and it's gross, and I hate it. And I will say it out loud. European pro sporting culture for all of its problems, like the hooligans, all that stuff. They've got a lot of issues that we don't necessarily have in the same way. But on the positive side, their culture is much better than ours. Much better there than we ours. Go. There we go. I'm still, Luke, proud to be an American. But I wanted to bring up to you one half of a Netflix doc I watched yesterday on my day off that it had subtitles, so you'll be proud of me. Okay. And had a lot to do with. Were they British? Colu- <laughs> Columbia, Luke. How about Hagi? Is it Hagita, the famous Colombian national yeah. Higita. goalkeeper? Higita, yeah. Higita, dude. I remember him as a kid for the scorpion kick save mm-hmm. thing that he does in the goal. But I had no idea the lifestyle that this man lived. Oh Holy crap, dude. dude! Not just the Pablo Escobar connection. Not just all the other times he's been involved in BS. How about on the field with the sweeper keeper identity? That dude would make a save, dribble the ball to midfield, and start like passing to people and stuff. It's wild. Yeah, dude. Uh, wild. Rene Higuita is uh, him and El Pibe. You might remember El Pibe was the guy with the big. Blonde afro. Dude, I'm not even doing a bit. I'm not even doing a bit. I can go to Colombia. I've been going to Colombia for, what, 10 years at this point? Almost 11. I can go there and turn on the TV, turn on any, like, sports game, anything that's on, the news, whatever, and you will see El Pibe doing commercials. You will see Iguita doing commercials. Any of those legends from that, like, big Colombia team in, like, the the 80s, early 90s, dude, they're all legends over there and still, still kicking their feet up. This guy's the rock star of rock stars to see his story played out. I got another half to watch on it, but uh, wow, Luke, I love it. This guy's a madman. Also, hey, I'm it's proud of you for re- watching something that wasn't in English. That's pretty cool. 
Thank you. And uh, we read on his Wikipedia page that they said a few years ago he had so much plastic surgery that it completely changed the way he looks, Luke, which you said is par for the course in that country. Yeah, it's, um, as they say in Colombia, there's no such thing as an ugly girl, just a poor one. So there you go. There, there you have go. it. Hey, let's talk about uh, things that are affordable, like our merch, Luke. Let's go to morningcombat.store. You can wear this shirt right here, this hat right there. How about that average Joe Art crossover wash turtles jam that we got going on on Luke's chest right there? Go to morningcombat.store right now, okay? Check out the average Joe and all the other great stuff that we got going on there, including, Luke, the MK Jerkins, which um, RJ Dunkel gangbanger has said is moving but i said to really make it move i did offer to do a one minute tutorial video on the mk jerkins is that a deal breaker you think corporately we have to watch you jack off for a minute okay we should move on here go to morningcombat.store thank you very much and look the other thing i wanted to mention before there's, we there's get people into right now things. having a coronary in the cbs control room i just know that yes Trust me. yes like and subscribe to our show and how about this luke the great Floyd Mayweather. You remember him, right? TVE, yes. 50 and 0. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to relive his legendary run? Mark your calendars for December 12th, uh, which has uh, already happened. Look, I got the wrong date there. Do we have the correct date? There we go. There we go. Uh, you can re-air all of this on the CBS app, but obviously we are talking about reliving the Mayweather's biggest moments on CBS Sports Network. You got Conor McGregor, you got Pacquiao, you got Canelo, and apparently you have the wrong date on there, Luke. So we'll get to the bottom of that. But thank you very much here on this fine day. That's a uh, sweet plug wow. we just did. That is great. <laughs> you know, that oh, is just 16th. Fantastic. It's supposed to be the 16th. Sorry, let's Saturday. reset that. Saturday. That was a graphic error. Here's what we go. This Saturday, December 16th, on the CBS Sports Network and also on the CBS Sports app, you can watch maybe, not, not even maybe, Luke, the three biggest fights. Sorry. Three of the four biggest pay-per-view blockbuster fights in boxing history. The fourth, of course, being Mayweather versus De La Hoya. But you can re-air Maymac, Maypack, and, of course, the 2013 Mayweather-Canelo fight, which brought Luke Thomas and your boy BC together for the first time. This Saturday, 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m. Eastern on the CBS Sports Network. Get your fill of the TBE, the great Floyd Mayweather. Thank you very very much all right the only other thing i had to mention luke on this lengthy intro was i had a nice um reset damn i'm still washed moment last night that even though i've been doing so great on my nutrition and workout plan over the past month turning this life around i played hoops last night luke for the first time in three weeks the good news is i won all three games i played great the bad news is I almost got into a fist fight and i threw up for a half hour afterwards but you know luke at 45 that's sometimes what happens right what what you played three games. What are you playing two? Fifteen full court. And each basket is one or each basket is two? There's ones and twos. So the three is a two and the two is a one? Yeah, so okay. it's a two hours of basketball. Uh we have a we have a sub, but it, it you know, you, you get your ass kicked. You know what I'm saying? Luke? So who was the guy you almost fist fought? Oh, we're Facebook friends. I love that guy, but you know, tension look I'm a, I'm a competitive. Is that the guy Jake okay, Paul so is fighting on Friday? It might be. It just might be. All right. Thank you very much. So uh, I'm recovering from that Ill that self-imposed illness. Man, do you know how old you feel when you're on your knees in front of a toilet for a half hour after doing something great for your body, Luke? Uh, I only time I'm ever on my knees in front of a toilet is because I've done terrible things to my body. I know. Uh, me too. I've lived there. I've I've rent not rent free. I've paid the rent to live there in front of the toilet. But yeah, whatever. All right. You're not here for this BS. 
let's get into the good stuff. This weekend, obviously, you can check out at youtube.com slash morning combat, the incredible, the incredible pregame preview we did for UFC 296 with Chuck Mindenhall. But that looked at the storylines from more of a macro level. Let's get inside the numbers, inside the X's and O's, and get you fired up for the final pay-per-view card of 2023 and the final UFC event overall. Yes, UFC 296, T-Mobile Arena, Saturday night. Luke, whatever it lacks in crossover casual fan blockbuster, this card makes up for in serious depth. We're talking like seven, eight, nine, ten fights I, I, I like a lot, and about four or five that are like, dude, can't miss, have to be there. I want to just start off before we break down these big matchups. What do you rank this card on a letter grade, and which Ooh. matchup has the fan in you just jumping out of your seat? Okay, so I'm going to give this card... Now, are we saying the whole card or the pay-per-view main card? No, the whole card. Okay. I love this card, man. Whole card, I'd give a B plus. Pay-per-view main card, I'd give an A minus too. It's mm. it's very very. It doesn't have that. Oh my god, overwhelming single factor like a Conor McGregor return or something like that. But or John Jones fighting, you know, I guess Stipe or whoever. But it doesn't it doesn't have that over the top factor. But it's got absolutely consistent quality all the way through and then that main card literally every single bout is important matters good interesting controversial and of course bc the fight that i care about the most i mean the main event certainly carries the highest stakes or whatever it's got to be shafkat rachmanov taking on wonder boy a, a huge fight for frankly for both guys in a lot of different directions which we talked about previously on the pregame preview yeah but there's still also that waiting in the wings below Muhammad thing. Like, what happens if, if Shafkat goes in there and dominates? Is he going to get the title shot? Is he not? Blah, blah, blah. But that is the one. I want to see. I mean, for a guy who's got 17 fights, 17 wins, 17 finishes, can he go in there and make it 18 on the same track? I, if he Ooh. does, man, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Well, you just identified, I think, the larger theme of this card. That, yes, there's two title fights atop the marquee. There's a handful of future potential superstars that have opportunities to either have their breakthrough moment or maybe in some cases repair some recent setbacks publicly in terms of Patty Plimblett's, you know, reputation and critical reputation. But overall, this is a spotlight on the welterweight division, not just the title fight in the main event as Leon Edwards welcomes back former interim champion and two-time title challenger Colby Covington, but two other must-see fights, as you mentioned, on this card that could produce the next or the next after or the next after title contenders when we're talking about guys like Shavka, Ian Gary, etc. But we're obviously going to start at the top. It's the second title defense of this welterweight title run for Leon Rocky Edwards. But in some ways, this kind of really starts his title reign now that the three-fight series with Kamaru Usman is behind us. <coughs> Excuse me. Colby Covington has not fought in over a year and a half since defeating Jorge Masvidal in a pay-per-view main event. But due to... Due to... But due to... Uh, you know, celebrity and all that comes with that. This is the fight. This is what we got. So Luke Thomas, first and foremost, heading into Saturday, is Colby Covington just that, an aging name who's getting this opportunity because of that? Or is this guy a massive and interesting threat to maybe finally climb that mountain and put that belt around his waist on Saturday? Uh, I think Colby is getting this fight because he is, for whatever reason, some folks dispute to what extent he is a star. He is clearly some kind of a star. I don't think he's a big one, but he is some kind of one. Um, folks never want to bring this up, and I don't mean to make a big deal of it, but it does matter that he's got this overt political identity as part of his 
personality for in fight sports that just happens to cohere not merely with the boss but with the former president of the united states who's going to be there i don't think these things are like the driving reason but i don't think it hurts his chances at getting opportunities like this necessarily either but i think really what what is 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 driving it is we kind of discussed this a little bit or actually to a fair extent on the pregame preview namely about what era these guys represent and to what extent Leon is supposed to be the guy who's sweeping that all away, or if this is the time where Colby is going to eventually take over. What's kind of funny to me, BC, is that Colby is not Kamaru Usman in terms of the technical talents, both for good and for bad, right? Because there's, there's things he's better at, there's things he's worse at, but he is very, very similar. Yet, some of the things that have plagued Leon in some of those Kamaru bouts, um, while Kamaru and Colby are not like, drastically different fighters there are ways in which Colby presents himself as a challenge that I think it would be fair to say uh, maybe Leon hasn't quite faced in this direction yet right so it's not just all those other factors there is a real kind of fact-finding mission here for Leon we talked about it previously with Song Yudong last week and other fighters as well to what extent is problem solving the ability that he he has shown. That was a great win he had over, over Usman in the second fight. That was a fantastic... I mean, you go back and you watch that third fight, dude. I, I, I've seen people this week on Twitter and other places on social media being like, oh, Leon's not that good and shit. I'm like, guys, are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> so, are you out dude, of your fucking mind? I, I want to jump in because I was going to ask you that question next because there's always... Right, the people that are going to overplay someone's value and growth and, and effectiveness, and on social media, you always find the opposite of people trying yeah. to shoot it down. I did hear a surprising amount of people saying, "Hey, not only are you guys in the build to this, just completely overlooking Colby's chances, but what about the version of Usman who wasn't going to take the fight to the ground, had injuries that maybe took that trilogy with uh, Leon too quickly, lost a you know competitive at times, but I thought it was a clean, thorough win across the board for Leon." You obviously can punch holes in that theory, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a very stupid argument, right? I mean, listen, here's the deal. Is there a case to build for Colby Covington that is not just a puncher's chance or a wrestler's chance? Yes, of course there is, right? I mean, I went back and I looked at... Um, so I went back BC yesterday on my day off, and I went through the Masvidal fight, both Usman fights, the Woodley fight, and then the Lawler fight to see exactly what kind of takedowns and rides that Colby favors. And they are meaningfully different in a lot of ways from what you get from Kamaru Usman. They, they really are. And more to the point, it's that secondary level of riding where Kamaru has a certain kind of riding style, but Colby's is much, much different. And I think you know the greatest example would be something like the Robbie Lawler fight, where he is leg riding, hip riding, half taking the back, half going for submissions, constantly raining down punishment. This is a very, very unique style. Like, could you see a case, particularly at elevation? I mean, it's not huge elevation, but there's some where this onslaught, this this torrential downpour of <laughs> offense that Colby is able to muster, could that be a real problem for Leon? There is simply no doubt. There is simply no doubt. I think if you really wanted to say that and make that specific case, you sure. could. But hello, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I got to tell you, did you see the third fight between Leon and Kamaru? Because if you didn't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what... What to tell you, guys, he, Colby, excuse me, Leon does surrender four takedowns in that bout, but they are uh, very minimal in number. I think he attempted, or minimal in terms of control time, they were, uh, I think he attempted 15 in that contest, so the overwhelming majority got stuffed, 
And then he was basically outstruck on the feet um, for the duration of that contest, although he obviously went the full distance. And he was able to get dominant grappling positions very briefly, in any case, over Kumaru. I mean, he had success against Kumaru. Forget the second fight. In the third fight, in ways Colby never did. You go back and watch Colby and Kumaru, too. You know, I know that it was closer than the first fight between... Well, actually, that's that's a little bit debatable until that fifth round where he gets knocked down. Um, But here's the point I'm trying to make. Colby is 36 years of age. He has fought once in 20, excuse me, once in 2020, once in 2021, once in 2022, and now once in 2023. 36 years of age. He does have a system to go to, so I don't think he needs to be like super active. But to me, Leon Edwards leveled up dramatically in the Kamaru Usman trilogy. He was able to stop takedowns or minimize their impact with, with extraordinary skill. He is battle-tested. He has been in the trenches against a lot of different folks. He did have that long layoff during the pandemic, uh, but has since been back to work over that. It's like, guys, if Leon can stuff the vast majority of the grappling attacks and even reverse them against Kamaru and then beat him as a consequence, we don't want to play MMA math, but my question would be back to folks. What makes you so confident that Colby is so different that... Leon won't have an answer for that. By the way, Leon is, what, 32 years of age, I believe? Yeah, Colby turns 36 in February, just to correct you. Sorry. I I get where you're going. Almost 36 years of age. This is my point. I get that Colby is a real threat. Let's be very clear about this, BC. Colby is a very real threat with very real skills and a big, big problem for anybody to solve. His last wins were Masvidal, Woodley, and Lawler. Lawler dating back to 2019, and he was already kind of washed by that point. Guys, Leon is categorically better than all of those guys. And anyone who wants to say that Jorge Masvidal in 2022 is better than Leon in 2023, you are out of your motherfucking mind. You whoa, could whoa, not whoa. you could whoa. not be more wrong about that if you tried. Please be serious. <laughs> Sir, this is an RPs. We're having a casual conversation among friends. This wow. Is, all right. I'm just I see I see this. <laughs> Listen, I it's it's not, people think that when I defend Leon against these specious attacks, what I'm saying is Leon is the runaway favorite and he'll win no matter what. That is not what I'm yes. saying. What I am saying is this absurd level of confidence in Colby is simply not backed by the facts at all. You must have a more realistic view in either scenario. Okay, well, just a reminder, Colby on a 21-month layoff at the moment. That matters in some form. I do agree with what you're saying, but I also want to say styles make fights. Some people give people harder fights than others. I open by asking you your reaction to that overly negative, critical opinion that some people have of Edwards. You tease to what the same negative, critical opinion that some people have of Covington is at the moment, that he hasn't beaten a ranked lightweight who has mattered. In their opinion, in their opinion... Sorry, welterweight, since RDA in 2018. Now, maybe that's not opinion if you actually look at the rankings. But, Luke, I wonder if that damns him or you just look at the fact that he got some level of celebrity and in, 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 in name value in the organization. Yeah, he's 2-2 two and two in his last four, but came as close as you can to beating Usman in the first fight before losing. And in the second fight, was it was very competitive. I'm not really going to sit here and say there's overly a case that Colby could have won that decision, but it was competitive. But I tend to lean on surface value more on what you said, that, like, if Leon was able to do this to Kamaru, who beat Colby twice, then MMA MMA math does mean something in how we apply this matchup, which is why I'm a little bit surprised at the betting odds. And this is why I want to bring this in and get your opinion. So take all with a grain of salt of what we said, the pros and cons of each fighter. We're looking at the odds from our partners there at FanDuel. 
plus 122 is Colby Covington, your very slight underdog hmm. against the minus 156 Edwards. Luke Thomas, Vegas all often, in fact, a lot is not only on it with these lines, but we question every time it seems like we question their lines, we find out why we, we should have trusted Vegas. What is Vegas trying to tell us here with this line? I think that they're trying to tell us one elevation matters. Colby, even at 35, soon to be 36, is probably going to have very, very good cardio. Like going into this contest, you might have questions. Do I have questions that Colby is going to gas in round five if it goes that long? No, I don't think he's going to gas at all. So that's going to matter. Whereas at times, like in the fifth round against Nate Diaz, that's not a cardio thing, but you know, just not being on his P's and Q's and getting rocked in the way that he did, that was bad. And then certainly at altitude, I think the altitude is much higher at Salt Lake City, but you know, he, he didn't have, he, he seemed like he was being drained as that the, the second of the Kamaru and Leon fights wore on. A little bit in the, in the third fight as well, though not as much. So th th that's probably one part of it. The second part is again, even with that, with, with Colby being off as consistently as he has been, he does have a system in place, right? He doesn't really, he's not trying to be the most well-rounded fighter. I mean, certainly he's been working on his skills or whatever, but he's got a system in place centered around cardio, centered around around mat control. There is some striking to be had, but let's be, let's be very clear about this. I went back and I watched the Masvidal fight before today's show. Masvidal rocked him in that fight as well. I can't remember if he took him to a knee or not, but he got, dropped, he got dropped and rocked in both Usman fights too. The guy gets hit a lot at distance, but he does have developing striking. You get what I'm trying to say. He's got a system in place. It's not foolproof, but it's pretty, pretty good. And it involves a very difficult kind of thing to, to uh, figure out where you've got a high-pressure, intense wrestler with unending cardio constantly in your face, constantly backing you up, constantly trying to take you down, controlling you, or at least attempting to control you for long parts of that fight. That's thing to deal with and Kamaru Usman was able to deal with it because Kamaru Usman obviously has a tremendous background in wrestling right these are things he was able to handle as a consequence and so he was able to make it work Leon doesn't have that but my response would be while I can understand the odds being close my response would be if you're if you're Leon Edwards what fights could you possibly have that would get you the most ready for Colby Covington and it would be the exact ones that he had. And you can gauge from the first to the second to the third. Obviously, there's a big gap in terms of time between the first and the second. But from the second to the third, you can watch his progress in dealing with all of these challenges increase over time. And by the way, I'm going to go back to it. 35 versus 32 in title fights. We kind of know what the score is there, although Tyron Woodley was able to buck that trend in this very division. But this is my point. Guys, show me the person... At welterweight, show me the person at welterweight that Colby has beaten who's as good as Leon Edwards. Is it Jorge Masvidal? No. Is it Tyron Woodley? Yes, in terms of the overall credentials, but by the time he got to him, he was, I mean, totally at the end of his run there. Robbie Lawler in terms of credentials, but not at the time in which he got him. Rafael Dos Anjos, a true lightweight. Uh, you know, he could fight at welterweight, but he's a true lightweight. Demi and Maya, no. Jung Hung Kim, and now we're back to 2017. He's never beaten anyone at welterweight in their prime like this, period. It hasn't happened. He hasn't done it yet. I'm not even sure he's faced somebody like this, much less beaten them. So I get why the odds are close. This is not me saying Covington doesn't have a chance. He 1 billion percent has a chance. What I am 
objecting to is this easy breezy skepticism about Leon because he doesn't go out there and call people cucks. He doesn't do a lot of media. He doesn't do a lot of dumb shit that a lot of fans seem to love. And so as a consequence, well, I guess he just isn't that good. No, no, he's real good. And Colby has his hands full on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to, you know, if you're figuring out the central tension of this fight, at least in terms of Colby's chances and why these odds are close, it's the wrestling. But Luke, it's not as if Leon Edwards has a long history of being controlled on his back. And the last time I checked, is there a long history of Colby Covington having dangerous top game when he does get you down? Shouldn't that be enough to make Leon at least a minus 250 favorite? I mean, what am I missing? So not necessarily, not necessarily. Colby is not, in defense of Colby, and again, I'm happy to do it where it matters. In defense of what he does, though, again, the Robbie Lawler fight is the most instructive in the sense that Lawler, at that point in his career, had really not much to offer in terms of <clears throat> resistance. So... What did you notice from that fight? Did he beat the brakes off of uh, Robbie, despite the fact that he landed something like several hundred strikes or something like that, right? I mean, I think, I think it set a record for that. But what you notice, BC, is there's really two central parts to the grappling game of Colby. The first one is the, very, the, the, the way which he takes down, which, by the way, if you want to get into some of those details, we can. But the second part is the riding. That's actually where I think he's the most dangerous, to be perfectly honest with you. His takedowns are very, very good. But to me, what really makes him a problem, and you saw this in the Masvidal fight too, is his riding ability, right? Where he can wrap a leg, get you against the fence, opposite side wrist control. He's not beating you up, but he is making you carry his weight. When you saw it against Jorge, there would be times he'd go on turtle, and what would Colby do? He'd put his chest right over the back of the neck slash head of Jorge, not far enough to fall over, but now Jorge has to carry all that weight on the back of his neck and back of his head, that, that kind of stuff, and he's constantly off-balancing you while, while still maintaining top pressure. Dude, that is a handful. And I will tell you that if, if we get to a part in that fight where Leon is – being ridden in that particular way, yeah, that would be that would be like like if in the first round Leon can't really stuff the takedown and he's being ridden in the way like you saw against Lawler. I mean, that would be that would be the curtains for him. I don't think he could ever really handle that. The question is, can he stop any of that riding before it gets started? And that of course goes back to the takedown. So your point is, oh, he's not a heavy ground and pounder. No, he's not. But he is an expert rider, and that can be a very, very difficult thing to deal with. Yeah. I mean, look, he's got eight, what 21-month layoff to show us how he's Colby's been able to up his game, elevate it, round it out, whatever. Uh, what's interesting, Luke, is... Now, look, when microphones have been in front of him, and I watched both the Embedded and the Countdown today, you know, Colby will say things. He'll say Colby things. But I do think as a whole, you're almost purposely not seeing the over-the-top Colby Covington, right? He did make that comment on Embedded that I don't lose when Donald Trump's in the building. And that got me going, wait, didn't he lose at 268 at MSG in the Kamaru rematch? But look, it, it appears that only Eric and Don Jr. were there. So maybe that stat is, uh, is correct in that regard. But my point is, I believe we're seeing a business-like approach more or less here for whatever Cap Colby's capable of. Maybe that'll change at the way, and hopefully we get a you know fiery face-off and all of that. Does that suggest to you that that exactly that that he realizes that this this is his last shot? I mean, it's not it's not automatic. He's going to be 36 in February. He's always talking about fighting people from lower weight classes, higher weight classes. He's calling out Sean Strickland. I mean, there's always that other BS going on, but. 
if this is his last chance, I want a Colby. I wouldn't want him coming in off 21-month layoff, but I would want him being quiet, putting his nose to the grind. I don't know if you saw on Embedded when he ate that steak and says, unlike all these other guys, I'm fighting at my natural weight. I'm always on weight. I'm always healthy. I'm always ready. Well, you know, Leon's always in great shape too. Uh, yeah, there you go with that. Are you expecting new wrinkles to the Colby experience in this fight? Yeah, so actually if you go back and do what I did, which was I went – in back in time and then worked through forward to see what takedowns he was using. They have remained pretty similar, but with slight adaptations at each time. And they've gotten a little bit different. He's gotten rid of some of the ones that are a little bit harder to come by. And he's gotten much better at some of the ones that are easier to come by and then added certain wrinkles to that. So yeah, I actually do. Again, he's got a system BC and I don't think he's really going to stray too far from that system, but he's going to tweak it. In fact, if you go back to the first and second Kumaru fights, what was the big difference in takedown ability? So what, what it's interesting, if you look on fight metric, they've got Colby listed as an orthodox fighter, but that's really not all that accurate. Uh, he's a, Most guys are something of a stance switcher, which he is too, but he often fights in southpaw, does that Matt Hughes sugar foot with the lead foot in front of him. Think about something when you wrestle people, right? Especially when you're wrestling somebody very good, like when he is wrestling Kamar Usman or wrestling in the context of MMA. It's much easier to grab someone's first leg than it is both at the same time, right? And so what he ends up doing is he ends up going southpaw, reaching for the single, and then he often will transition to a double, and then that doesn't work a lot of times because that's just too easy for guys to defend. So what he has been doing, and you saw this in the second Usman fight, he would go for a high crotch, switch off to the double, right? And then when that got defended, he would knee slide up the middle and then go to the back. And remember, there was this dispute, did Colby take Kamaru down? By strict wrestling standards, he did. By MMA standards, he did not. But this ability to slide underneath and go to the back, that's new. And you saw a little bit of a wrinkle with that as well on the fence. If he has a right side underhook, you'll see him harass the feet by trying to trip him out on that same right side. He used to never do that at all. He'll go inside trip, he'll go into the outside to try and go for the back that automatically sets up him forcing his opponent to their hands and then as discussed previously, beginning to ride. So what he's really looking for is he's not Aljamain Sterling looking for the back jujitsu style, right? Where he's looking to backpack on and he's hunting for chokes like he was on Corey Sandhagen. It's not that. What he is trying to do is get behind you guys or get behind his opponents Get that body lock, force you to your hands, force you to your base, carry his weight, leg ride, knee pinch, the whole nine yards, and then control that person for the rest of the round yeah. because he can do that no problem for five rounds in terms of that cardio. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Leon Edwards on the flip side, the champion. You mentioned 32 years old, right in his prime, finally getting his just due, the pound for pound rankings, everything that comes with that, and the inspirational victory in the rematch with Usman, and of course the win in the trilogy. 12 fight unbeaten streak. The only blemish is the no contest against Bilal Muhammad. Luke, before we get into Edwards' side of the strategy of all of that, uh, I don't want to go too deep on this aside, but when we look at the rankings, Leon Edwards is your champion. You know what I really don't like what the UFC does is that when a champion loses their title, they automatically instill them as the number one contender moving forward. Even if it's clear in that title loss that they may have lost something or things aren't going in that same direction. I'm not saying for Kamaru Usman that was the case when he lost the, the title by head kick in, in the fifth round of a fight he was winning. But since then, Kamaru has lost to Edwards a second time. And he just lost on short notice in a new division. Maybe that doesn't matter. 
But UFC still has Kamaru Usman as the number one contender. Bilal Muhammad at two, Colby at three. Luke, uh, why? Why? I, I, why? I, I've been saying this for the longest time. It's like, guys, explain to me how if you lose, you're the number one contender. What the fuck is that? Oh, well, you only lost to the he guy lost who was- three. He lost three in a row. Yeah, I don't get that at all, dude. I, this is, I mean, the people who do the rankings just, you know, I, God bless them. They're, I'm sure they're nice people. Yeah. I'm sure they're nice people. But you can't defend the way in which they've done this up to this point, either for number one contenders or, frankly, a few other slots along the way. But that's the who most egregious example. Who does the, the you know, I, I'm always maligned because I'm on the Bellator rankings panel or was on that, Luke. Who's on the UFC? Yeah. Hey, what's up panel? with the Bellator rankings panel? Is that still a thing? I don't know. Hey, do you know uh, PFL just hired Mike Kogan, according to Mark Raymondi. So shout out to PFL in that regard. The ex-Bellator matchmaker. Yeah, that's that's actually one of their better hires, if I can be honest. No doubt about that. All right, let's bring it. Let's stop where we were. Let's bring it back to Leon Edwards. Luke, the defending champion. Here we go. We talked about how Colby can win, what he needs to do and all that. If I just asked you straight up. What is the strongest part of Leon Edwards' game that he's going to lean on the most to try to win this on Saturday? Uh, okay, so his takedown defense has rapidly improved. I mean, again, that third fight with Kamaru, I was, I, I mean, I don't use this word lightly. I was legitimately impressed with his takedown defense. I was like, wow, that is very, very good. So it's not foolproof. Like, you have to ask yourself, Kamaru, I think, got like six takedowns the first time they fought. I think he got five the second, and he got four but he barely got, I mean, in the fifth round, that's not quite true, but in many other rounds, he barely got them. Like he could, he could only hold them for a very, very, very brief time. It's not like Leon's going to go to his back and then just, you know, I'm just going to ride out the round there. But if you're asking like what makes Leon quite exceptional, partly it's well-roundedness, right? There's nothing he's really bad at. There's, he doesn't, he doesn't have that one skill that you look at and you go, wow, he is just so overwhelmingly better here than the rest of his peers. But I've kind of discussed this before. He is excellent at managing risk. Very, very good at managing risk. He's very, very good at diffusing all of the different pieces of what his opponents are typically very, very good at without putting himself in danger. And that's actually going to be really, really important. A couple of times, Jorge Masvidal did this, and you saw, for example, do you remember, BC, when Tyron Woodley took Colby down off a single leg attack? Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. So he oh, takes yeah. him down. And he actually, it's a clean takedown. Like, it's really nice. Colby's mat scrambling, I'll give Colby a lot of credit here, excellent, like really, really, really good. But a guy like, and you did see, for example, uh, Leon trip Kamaru and then move into mount briefly in their fight as well, one of their fights. I think it was the second. Um, the point I'm trying to make is you're asking about Leon. Leon has this ability to not only manage risk and manage rounds without overcompromising himself, um, he's got this real great ability to just, as I mentioned, diffuse things. So if you're particularly good at wrestling, his takedown defense is very good, and he's very good now at staying off the fence. He has excellent lateral movement. He's good at managing distance. He doesn't have a torrential downpour of strikes, but it's consistent enough to kind of matter behind the jab on occasion. Obviously, we've seen his kickboxing game is pretty great as well. In the grappling department, he's very, very good at achieving positions that win him rounds and are dominant enough to cause problems without... Uh, over compromising his particular space. So like, for example, the Gunnar Nelson fight was a great example of that where he wouldn't quite, he was, it was doing enough 
to win rounds, doing enough to win exchanges. But should, should Gunnar Nelson want to reverse or get to his feet or whatever the case, he was able to bail from these positions without a whole lot of difficulty. He's the king of the half position in a way that I've never really seen a lot of other guys do it. And that doesn't sound great because what you want to say is, who's got the most amazing backpack jujitsu? Who's got knockout power? Well, Leon's not that guy. But if you've got a guy who understands risk, who is patient but active enough, who is well-rounded, who is experienced, who does have good takedown defense, who doesn't overcommit, uh, uh, doesn't compromise himself by getting greedy in certain offensive positions, it doesn't necessarily make second fight with Kamaru notwithstanding a dynamic highlight reel, but it does make you a very, very difficult guy to beat. There's not really a place you can take this guy where he's going to make a lot of mistakes. Trevor Whitman is one of these dudes who really has boiled down the essence of fighting to what really matters, BC, which is, dude, when you've got two guys this good, this high level with stakes this big, it's the first guy to make a mistake who's going to pay for it. Leon doesn't make a shit ton of mistakes anymore. There were times in his career where I thought that was not the case, but the point yeah. at which he's really gotten to now, he is very, how would you describe his game? It's so buttoned up. Colby is quite smooth. The, smooth. Colby is quite the opposite. Colby will charge. <clears throat> Colby will take risks. Yeah. And a lot of that pays off because he can scramble his ass off and he can wrestle and he's got good cardio. In general, it works for him. But if you're contrasting the styles, that's what I would say. You've got a guy in Leon, it is very difficult for him to make a mistake. And that is going to carry him through in large part, I think, on Saturday. Yeah, I, I always go back in hindsight and question myself, you know, what? why did I miss certain guys on the rise, miss those qualities that would allow them to break through, right? I was down on Bilal on the rise. I was down on Dariush. I was down on Rocky. But, you know, Leon Edwards, Luke, has shown us some of it is when you're, when you're well-rounded without one singular dominant skill, and then you, of course, mix that with some of the marketing or commercial pitfalls Leon has had along the way that we've documented that length in what maybe held him back from getting his title shot well he got the title shot he delivered he won the trilogy and here we are but i'd have to say luke it's really it helps when you have speed like he does but his timing on striking is just wonderful and when you mix that with an ability not to make mistakes and be in control but still be dangerous still dictate and lead that dance and be able to be smooth and flowing just not an easy guy to, to to beat up and to have big moments against. So um, again, I, I just I guess I don't get these odds unless Covington's going to have much more success holding uh, Leon down than I'm imagining right now. I'm not saying Co Covington can't strike, right? I mean, look at the look at what he did against Usman in that first fight, but that was also two wrestlers sort of making the you know, silent decision to just slug it out at the feet. Yes, Colby can pressure you on the feet. There's a barrage of strikes. But do you ever see Colby? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you made a good point. Do you ever see Colby against somebody in their prime outside of, you know, Usman when he was champion? Not lately, but do you ever see Colby beating people up with single strikes? No. no. So so it's, it's like, would you be more shocked if, if it's headshot dead and Colby, you know, falls via head kick in the second round? Or would you be more surprised if Colby wins one of these, you know, control decisions? Uh, you know, we're... What's what's the more potential there? I mean, it's it's probably going to be Leon because he's the favorite coming in. But I'm just trying to construct paths to victory for Colby. Look, and I'm not really seeing it. Um, I think he's got to put a lot of pressure on Leon, right? How do you make a guy who doesn't make a lot of mistakes make mistakes? You have to really, really take some risks. And that could backfire, certainly. It could backfire. But if he kind of, you know, if he attacks on... This is the other part, too, dude. Like, think about, like... Think about a classic Edwards win, fifth round against Diaz notwithstanding, right, where he gets rocked. Um, he makes everyone fight at his pace. Have you noticed that? Like, this is why I talk yeah. about, like, his wins and his – he's got – obviously, he's got some nice wins. He's got some nice finishes. And the Kamaru one is the, you know, the, the, the apogee of all of that. But the point I'm trying to make is he brings people down to the level which he's fighting in terms of rhythm and pace. Colby has to completely disrupt that, right, D- totally disrupt that. Now, that involves risk. Right, because you've got a guy in Leon who's going to be expecting that, who I think does have some good striking pinpoint when he needs to, and can really counter uh, fight um, ably in certain occasions. But you've got to really break that dude down. You got to wear on him. You got to really make those first couple. Like if I'm Colby and I'm losing the first two rounds, I don't think that's necessarily all that big a deal. Like if you go into yeah. round three and Leon is up two zero, but you see that Colby is starting to get chip away and chip away and chip away. Dude, Col- like if it comes down to grinding, who's gonna win that one? Fucking Colby's gonna win that one. Like, there's no doubt. If it comes down to that, it, 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 you know, really, Colby has all the advantages. But to get to that point, he's gonna have to break through a lot of the defensive will and defensive skill that I think Leon has developed that a lot of people just don't appreciate. So doable to the point <clears throat> you're about your odds. Doable, doable, yeah. doable. But a tough assignment. Well, topic number two, Luke, as we look at the co-main event of Saturday's UFC 296 card, is a, a, you said a word people don't don't appreciate, underappreciated. This matchup is underappreciated. A rematch for the hot potato flyweight title, although the first one was a non-title about in which Alexandre Pantoja, your current champion, submitted Brandon Royval in round two. A lot has changed since then. Both guys on big-time win streaks. Pantoja scoring a dramatic, brutal, you know, test-of-will victory over Brandon Moreto to capture that title. And Royval on his own reinventive three-fight win streak since kind of making some changes and putting himself on the right course and figuring it out. Luke, why is no one talking about or caring much about this fight? Is it because of the lack of star power? Is it because of the parity in the division? What is it? Because I look at this matchup, I see unpredictable fireworks and a crazy track meet, and I can't wait for it. Tell me about their first fight. 
<clears throat> so here's the deal on the first fight. A lot of people are like, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't be excited about this rematch because we saw what happened in the first fight. But in that first fight, you still had a Brandon Royval, and I want to remind you that that first fight was the, the most recent loss for Royval and really the fuel for his reinvention. Look, he was reckless and, and really tried to walk Pantoja down with strikes, got taken down, was able to fight off the submission attempts from Pantoja in the first round while also establishing a threat of his own. But in the second round... Royville walked him back to the fence, was beating him up with clean strikes, but it was one mistake when he overreached for a left cross that led to Pantoja taking his back, taking him down, and then once that anaconda from behind got on him and started to squeeze him, that choke was quick and it was deep. And obviously, if you're going to have Pantoja on your back, no matter who you are, you're going to be in trouble. Royval tapped. But what I'm trying to say here, Luke, is now you fast forward a couple years, they're different fighters in a different situation, I think it's going to be a completely different fight. And I think in some ways people are over overvaluing what really happened in that first fight. That was a close competitive fight that Pandoja found an opening and finished it. But this whole division, everyone should be ranked the same, Luke, because anybody can win this title lot at any time. And in some degree, that's really exciting. And it's playing into why I really like this matchup. Um, I think you're underestimating Pantoja a little bit. If I can be honest, break it, break it down, Luke. Break it down for me. So, Pantoja was reckless as shit in that fight too, dude. Like, like, Brand. Everyone's like, "Oh, Royville was reckless." You cannot tell me with a straight face that Pantoja was like disciplined in that fight. I mean, he was the opposite of that, dude. Even in the Moreno fight, he was the opposite of that. He fights balls out, which is kind of amazing. To your point, that he doesn't have a bigger fan base to this point, but obviously there's some reasons for that um, as well. Here's the reality that Royville is up against. Royville is talented, and I do think that this, his reformation matters. Um, he has slowed down some of the craziness, or I should say dialed it back, to make better decisions. Because if you're playing speed chess all the time in MMA, you're going to get into trouble. The biggest problem that he has is not that he is not very, very skilled or that he's a problem for a lot of flyweights, Pantoja just has significantly better jiu-jitsu than him. Like, like the fundamental jiu-jitsu that he has, and I know Royville is a black belt. Like, I'm not sitting here saying he's some scrub. That's not my point at all. But Pantoja is decidedly better. His fundamentals are decidedly better. His wrestling, which is a key part of it, is decidedly better. And it's better at the foundational core level as well. Um, that's always going to be an uphill battle for him. To me, BC, if I could be honest... If it wasn't for the Moreno fight, I don't know that I would say this, but the Moreno fight to me is kind of an interesting thing, which is, dude, that was a blood and guts affair. I mean, that was a mm -hmm. brutal ass fight. You don't know if he's going to be the same coming out of that. You just don't, dude. You don't. And I've seen so many guys who, to your the way you described it, BC, pour the jug out. And then you're yes. like, wow, man, look at that performance. Holy shit. Look at what he showed us. He showed us what he was capable of. And he did. And he did. But the problem is, if you do that too much, either in a number of times or even too much at one interval, you can never be the same guy again. That is very, very, very possible. Pantoja currently sits, BC, 33 years of age. He's not too old, but he's got a lot of miles. He's got 31 pro fights to this point, and they're not easy ones either. 
Um, Doesn't that play into my argument that this fight is potentially more competitive, certainly than the first one two years ago, yes. or the, the expectations of a lot of people? Because I was going to go on a, a, a rant to the same degree that as much as Pantoja's victory was so emotional and dramatic, and for him, it's like it made his whole career worth it in that one moment. Dude, he had to walk through insane insane hell to do that i mean just stood, he stood there hands down just taking bombs firing away yes then you had the emotional speech afterward about the father look at what happened to robbie lawler when he won the championship went through all those wars and then one night against tyron woodley just at ufc 199 it was over it was over like that yes. because luke you can only keep that up at that high level when you're welcoming that much damage for so long and this is flyweight the smallest division where 32 33 can sometimes look like 37 38 right yes so but 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 you have to be careful about what you were arguing here but for the moreno fight i don't know what the argument for royville would be do i really believe that he has improved so much both in terms of his growth and uh, in terms of the adding of skills and then the refinement of them and how they're applied and making better decisions sure. i do th i i 1000 i do believe he is better i want to be very clear about that but the gap between he and Pantoja, I feel like, is still so big that that wouldn't be enough. But for yeah. uh, the Moreno fight, that to me, that changes the equation a little bit because we don't really know how he's going to look. We don't know exactly what the hell that did to him. We're going to find out on Saturday. That That's the X factor. Absolutely. Let's go to Brandon Royval here. 31 years old, out of Denver. <clears throat> Excuse me. Three fight win streak since that 2021 loss to Alexandre Pantoja. I caught up with him on Morning Combat, YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. Again, I'll tell you, not a lot of views on that clip, but if you watch it, you'll be entertained. Royval, hilarious. Said he watches MK and loves it. He knew our lingo. Listen to his description of why he has the raw dog nickname. It's great. But here's him talking about this evolution and sort of the decision making he made that fueled this win streak and him putting it all together in line. But correct me if I'm wrong. I have sensed not a change in your demeanor, but you seem more calculated where maybe you would take more risks in the past. Was there a moment where that kind of turned? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I had this idea in my head when I first got to the UFC that I could just outwill and outpace and uh, just kind of put the pressure on people. And that was like in my head, like when I when I started in UFC, I was just like, I know I can get these bonuses. I know that I can kind of just break some of these dudes' will and uh, put put myself like you know like um, cardio versus cardio, all that stuff. And I kind of made that like my focus point of my game, where like honestly. To be completely honest and like how I really feel now is just, I'm strategically better. I'm longer. I feel like I have, uh, I'm, I'm a complete fighter. A lot of these dudes, like even like a, a Moreno and not trying to shit on anybody, but it's just like, he's primarily a boxer. He'll throw kicks every once in a while. But it's like, I think if it goes down to like the basis, I beat these guys in boxing matches. I beat these guys in Taekwondo matches. I'll probably get out wrestled by every single one of them. But in a jujitsu match, I feel like I beat him. I just feel like I'm more of a complete martial artist in general. And I was just out there going balls to balls and seeing who who will who will drop. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I feel like I, I had that in my head so much that I'm like I could just outgun these fools. And it's like it, I knew how dangerous of a fighter I was, and I know that like a complete fighter like myself, where I can submit them and I can knock people out and I can uh, put a quantity on them and out pressure and pace them. That like I knew in, in a shootout that I was probably going to win most of the time. And then I lost against Pantoja, and I was like why am I going to fights like this? Why am I going standing 50, 50 and fighting these fools in range when I'm the tall, one of the taller fighters in division, I have the quicker feet in division. 
and is like, why why am I fighting these dudes in boxing range when I can kick them, I can punch them, and I can just outmaneuver them this whole entire time? I think that's an interesting description of exactly what's happened on his three-fight win streak, but you also have to ask yourself, have the names that he's beaten, all three were in the top ten at the time, are they on the same level of the four-fight win streak Pantoja's on when he won a decision over Cop, submitted Roy Vall, submitted former title challenger Alex Perez, and then took that split decision to win the championship from Brandon Moreno. Uh, Roy Vall has an earlier victory over Kai Car France that still looks really good, but I would agree with you. Pantoja historically has been the better fighter, more dangerous with the better sort of resume, but Royval does look a little fresher. He looks ready. We're certainly going to see, Luke. And this is why I got to give credit to the UFC matchmakers here. Even though I don't fully understand the Colby odds, both of your title fights on Saturday are virtual pick'ems. FanDuel has Royval plus 148, mm. minus 192 for Pantoja. Almost a two-to-one favorite, but look, we've seen odds much further. This is anyone's fight. This division, is this title is anyone's to win. Uh, are you expecting Royval to just throw out that great speech and this turn into a, a barn burner if Pantoja wants it to? I mean, I guess I can ask you that same question about Pantoja. He walked through hell to edge out Moreno. Is he willing to do that again? Does he want to do that again? How do you see the pace of this fight breaking out once they touch gloves for the second time? I, I don't know that he'll necessarily be hesitant. That's the sign of a shot fighter. I don't know if he's shot after just one of those, but like, you know, the recklessness with which he has approached, he's been willing, like, on some level, the recklessness kind of helps him to, to, a, to agree, like, you know, there's a little bit of dog in him that he had to kind of get out to beat Moreno and other fighters as well. But at the same time, it will cause problems when you're on the decline, such that he is there, which he may not be. Again, we're going to find out. I don't think he's going to be shot, BC, but I think he, if he is at all reckless or tries to bait Royville into being reckless, now that's another interesting yes. component, right? Because I think if they're both reckless, you definitely have to like um, Pantoja's chances. Just that's that's what you got for the first time, and, and he won. So uh, the, the question really begins to – the question for me is how sturdy is his chin? How much damage can he actually take? Did he really compromise himself uh, irrevocably in the Moreno fight? That is the central question for me here, and I sure. just don't know the answer. I don't know. I can't wait to find out. Also, Royville has a knockout loss to Brandon Moreno earlier in his career, but this division has been so wild post-Sahudo era. That, that last win that Royville has over Mateus Nicolau, that's a good one. People don't look at that okay. win all that much, and they beat him inside the first round, too, I believe. That's a super, super, super solid win. Um, you know, both those guys, both both he and uh, uh, Pantoja, I think, have wins over Manel Kopp, and you can see how good he is. So, like, to get something Absolutely. like that, and then Royville polished him off, that's a nice win, man. He's 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 yeah. he's doing well. Pantoja has not lost since a 2020 decision against Askar Askarov, who I thought was going to be champion. It's not even in the UFC anymore, Luke. What do I know? Before we continue down this loaded card, Luke, we're talking about reinvention of these fighters. We're also talking about our own physical reinventions, right? And when you reinvent physically, Luke, you're also reinventing mentally. And and here's the deal. You don't have to wait for January 1st to make that resolution that will it stick? How long will I go? Will I buy this gym membership and not be there? If you want real consistency, you need knowledge, you need structure, you need a plan. And Luke Thomas, that's where this fantastic app that we've partnered with 
FitBod comes into play because I can't tell you how many times I go into the big gym when I buy the membership every couple of years and try to start it up again that I look around and I'm like, well, I don't know how to do that over there. And I'm really intimidated by that over there. And then I end up doing the same core stuff I've done since I was 15. No, Luke, not with FitBod. Bros, ladies, such that there are any watching the show, you guys know as well as we do, everyone seems to think that what your results in the gym will be is strictly a function of effort. And it's just not true. That's just not the way it works. I wish it did, but it's not. Effort, of course, matters a lot. But what also matters is what is your plan? And not just, I plan to do well. No. What is your written plan? What is your plan for that day? What is your plan for that week, that month, that training cycle, three months, whatever it may end up being? What is your actual plan, your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, written-down, specific plan, both in terms of your diet, in terms of what training equipment you have, in terms of what place you're in, and where you want to go? What is it? Because if you don't have that, you don't really have anything. You're not going to get where you want to go. Then you're going to get demotivated, and then you're not going to want to train anymore. What you want is something that can help you with your progress, both to track it, to challenge it, and to help guide it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is FitBot, a one-stop shop app that can give you all of these things. Don't know what to do in the gym? How about over 1,000 videos breaking down workouts? You enter in your specifics, and FitBot acts like a coach in the palm of your hand because this powerful technology behind this great app understands your strength training ability, studies your past workouts, and then adapts, as we always say, based upon the equipment you have. Hey, maybe you have a big box gym you can go to down the road. Maybe you got some free weights and a jump rope in your basement. Either way, you enter it in, and this great app, Luke, can follow you along the journey, keeping your gym sessions fresh. Also, understanding your body, understanding the intensity, the volume, the need for rest, what fatigue can do to you. Don't try to do it yourself if you don't know what you're doing. Ask a professional. Have FitBot in the palm of your hand to guide you. We're talking about new momentum that you can start to build so you can climb that Ozark Plateau, get to that next level. Luke, I'm an ignorant POS when it comes to stuff like this. But slowly but surely, I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to put together a plan. FitBot's guiding me in that direction. I mean, look at, look, look at this. Look at this, Luke. Look at those guns, son. That's exactly what you need. You need somebody who can help you say, where are you and where do you want to go? And maybe you know a lot about the gym. Maybe you don't. Maybe there's something in between. This is the kind of app that can tailor exercises to you, teach you new ones such that you need them all within the comfort of what you have. A gym membership, weights at home, body weight, doesn't matter. FitBod's got you covered with both details, plans, support, tracking progress. This is what you need to make your fitness goals in 2024 a reality. Yep. I don't care if you got a black liver. Get after it. Here's what we need you to do, MK Viewer. If you want to make a big change in your own life, why wouldn't you, right? Download FitBod today. Get a head start on the fitness resolution. How about start a revolution inside your body? 25% off your subscription to FitBod. If you act right now, they'll throw in three personalized workouts if you go to fitbod.me slash combat with a K. Luke, that's a great deal, man. Yeah, 25% off free personalized workouts at fitbod.me slash combat, as you indicated, combat with a K. All right, so much more for UFC 296 to get into in topic number three. Maybe, just maybe, we're looking at a future world champion here, 17-0, Shavkat Rachmanov, the biggest betting favorite on this card. And as Luke mentioned earlier, that 17-0 and 0 
with 17 finishes, nine knockouts, eight submissions, and Shavkat Rachmanov will enter Saturday, according to FanDuel, as a minus 670 favorite Jesus. over the 40-year-old two-time former world title challenger Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, plus 430. Luke, the odds tell you this is a staged exhibition. But we know Wonder Boy is, is has has some guile, has still has some speed. How big of an uphill battle is this really for him? Um, I mean, the thing for me that stands out is he'll be forty-one in February, right? That is just for a guy who has a style based off of reflexes, timing to a degree, speed, uh, movement, motion. At forty-one, even though he does appear to have taken very good care of himself so i mean he's not the average 41 year old by any stretch of the imagination but you get the idea of what i'm saying here if your game is to a degree based on these things being a certain level and that level has declined because that's just what's going to happen with age well then you're going to be easier to hit it's going to be harder to move you know there's a lot of sort of factors at play here that really undermine this point style that he's developed so like bc like the point style was really really interesting the way that he brought it to mma a lot of guys weren't used to it he was using a style that was you know an ablated stance that was really weird bouncing on the front of his toes like this kind of thing that he had this edge on the market for a little while and if you look at the guys who he's he's lost to the darren till one was very controversial the anthony pettis one he was beating anthony until he wasn't uh, then he beats Jeff Neal and, and Vicente Luque, which are nice wins. This, by the way, those happened in 2019 and 2020. And then he has back-to-back -back losses in 2021 to Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad, who basically, you know, in large part wrestled him. And then he has a win over Kevin Holland in 2022. So it's not like he's fallen off some kind of a cliff. And the last guys to beat him largely did it with wrestling, although be not, not exclusively. You know, there's a lot of things that make you feel like he's still pretty competitive. But Shavkat Rachmanov who also has some issues about just, you know, walking into range and getting popped. He just seems to have so many skills in so many directions, in so many phases of the game, a unique knack uh, for finding finishing opportunities, a desire for finishing, just a real kind of go-getter with the skills and the willingness and the daring to match. Uh, to me, this fight will be won or lost someplace in the clinch along the fence line, BC. I think that's really where he's going to want to be. I mean, if you stand at range with Wonderboy, what's going to happen? You're just going to get popped. I mean, that's just what it's going to be. Uh, but Rachmanov, very strong in the clinch, great judo throws, interesting ground and pound, great counterboxing when he needs it at times. So this, to me, is going to be a test of tightening up some of the things that got Rachmanov in trouble against Jeff Neal. Um, sure. But... You know, again, how that plays out on Saturday, I guess we'll see. We're going to throw to some Shavkat sound in a second from your fantastic interview. If you haven't watched it, and a lot of people have, please check it out, especially the horse meat mm. discussion, which, wow, Luke, wow. Um, I want to quickly say Stephen Thompson did say during the uh, Embedded show, and Luke, we've seen this before. When you have an aging former title challenger with a name, sometimes you are only one or two wins away from being inserted right back into the top. But this division's starting to get crowded with big, fresh, young names ready to take over. When Stephen Thompson says, if I upset Shavkat on Saturday, he said it matter-of-factly, I will be fighting for a title next. 
Is he crazy? I mean, a stoppage of Kevin Holland was was a great win. If he upset Shavkat, that's a super great win considering the underdog that he is. But that's very, very wishful thinking if you look at the rankings, correct? Yeah, that is pretty wishful thinking. I mean, there was a, I don't know if we have it. Mikey, do we have the Tommy Toehold tweet that I sent you? Because it's kind of relevant here to an extent um, as well. It was about, um, it was about Colby. So if Colby ends up losing, here it is. If Colby loses Saturday, he will be the first fighter in the history of the welterweight division to lose three undisputed title fights. I mean, the point is that he's even getting three title fights, undisputed ones in this particular case, is kind of remarkable and a testament to what Colby has built for himself. But Colby's a pretty rare case, right? We've already got a situation where he drew with Woodley, then lost with Woodley. Are they going to give him another one, even with a win over Rachmanov? They might if it's versus Bilal, right? Like, you know, Bilal already has the win over him, too, which is kind of interesting. But he would be much more exciting, you know, if, let's say, Leon wins, uh, Leon versus um, uh, Wonderboy. So they might. It's, it's hard to imagine that they would. It's hard to imagine you would actually even get back to a place where they would do it. But if you beat a guy who's not only never been beaten, but all of his wins are always via stoppage... Shit, dude, it's hard to punch a better ticket than that yeah. one. I'll be honest. Well, okay, well, you brought in Shavkat, which he's also in play potentially to jump cut to the front of the line with a win, especially if it's spectacular. Dude, true or false, if Bilal Muhammad gets passed over for the next welterweight title shot, he should directly enter the antitrust lawsuit next year and just try to go on full revenge mode back against the company. Be like, hey, Nate, uh, who are, who's in that Luke Kung Lee? Who else is in that? He should just partner up with those yeah. guys and get after it. I mean... Kyle, Damn, Kyle dude. Kingsbury and uh, some other ones as well. Yeah. Anyone out here want to remember that name? All right, let's go to Shavkat. You caught up with him, translator involved, but boy, was that executed beautifully. Here's Shavkat on the challenge of fighting Wonderboy Thompson. To what extent have you ever faced anyone who has the point karate style of Wonderboy? Never. Okay. So the last two guys who beat him did it wrestling. And in fact, this week, Wonderboy was asked, hey, do you think Shavkat is going to strike with you. He said, no, he's going to wrestle with me. I wonder what you make of that. It depends how will he, he will act. But I think my standing game is not worse than him. And I think I can beat him standing, standing game. Luke, will Shavkat look to almost exclusively take this fight to the ground and beat Wonderboy up? No. No. I think he takes risks. <laughs> I think he takes <laughs> risks, dude. No. I mean, you right. could definitely see parts of this fight doing that. Like, he's definitely done that in fights. Like, you know, that's not a thing that's unheard of or something. He did that in the uh, Michelle Prezerish fight. And Prezerish kind of just quit in that one, too. He was like, fuck this. I don't want any more of this shit, you know? So th th that's a real possibility. But honestly, dude... Most of the time, like nine, I'll be honest, ninety nine percent of the time, when a fighter's like, "Dude, I'm going to stand and bang with this guy," I'm like, "Okay, he's going to take him down, right?" So he's not going to do any kind of standing or banging. Uh, but when Shavkat says it, dude, I kind of believe it. You know what I mean? Like he's got the skill to pull off almost any kind of fight style. That's not quite true, but he's got the skill to beat a lot of different guys in a lot of different ways, including Wonderboy in the stand up. It just, ha it just, I really will. It's going to be come down to the kind of pressure again. I think it's going to be when you say stand up. Do we mean at range? Uh, some of that will happen, obviously. I'm. I, yeah. I really feel like it's going to be at clinch range. Clinch range is where I think he's going to do a lot of his best work. 
Final question on this fight. How far away do you think Wonderboy is right now from the guy that fought Woodley twice? Because he did just stop Kevin Holland. And this is a bad style matchup. Like, this could be problematic. The odds tell you that. But is he 80% of his prime in your mind? Yeah. Yeah, he is. The lost... Uh, I remember I interviewed him after the loss to Pettis. And he told me that was the first time he'd ever been fully put out. You know, like fully, fully put out. I mean, I guess he got rocked and hurt real bad against Matt Brown. But like one shot, bang, done, don't remember it, like that kind of a thing. That was like the first time for him. And so at age 40, 41, I do think it's the same kind of thing. Like he's taken very good care of himself, but there's going to be some slippage. He has not taken a ton of damage, but the accumulation over time will really kind of matter. So is he in his prime? No, I think he's pretty far from it. But I don't think it's been a massive drop. We're not talking about like Tony Ferguson on this like incredibly awful losing streak, you know, that kind of a thing. So I do think he's actually reasonably close-ish to what he had yeah. before. But I do think it's also a, a, enough of a difference for Shavkat to exploit, you know. I agree. And that's a testament to Wonderboy's longevity, the shape he's always yes. in, the, the the care he puts into his game. Doesn't get beat up a lot, as you just indicated. May happen on Saturday. We will find out. Let's keep it going. The most famous fighter and most beloved fighter currently riding a disastrous six-fight win streak is El Kakui, Tony Ferguson. He does seem in the interviews, Luke, to be confident, almost reborn. Uh, he puked in a bag with Goggins a few times, but he's got an uphill battle here against Patty Pimblett. Or does he, Luke? Or does he? What's more likely? Patty, one-way traffic, redeem his recently doubtful critique of his name and where he's at after that Jared Gordon fight. Or Tony Ferguson, not pulling the upset, but Tony Ferguson, who has had moments in a lot of these disastrous losses. The uppercut against Chandler. I mean, there's been moments. Does he make this award? Does Tony Ferguson make this a fun and competitive fight, even in defeat? Or or is this going to be really sad? I, I that's, that's where I'm at. I don't know. I just don't know. So, historically and mathematically speaking, the chances this is sad is high, right? Uh, or Or good, anyway. High might be a strong word, but good. Um, I mean, this is the thing about Patty, right? So, like, this is why this fight is actually reasonably intriguing is because he seems to be quite hittable on the feet, right? I don't think yeah. that's saying anything crazy. And yet at the same time, BC, like, if he's smart and experienced enough, and he should be, he's probably just going to take Patty, or excuse me, he's going to take Tony down, you know, and then work some kind of grappling game from there. And you might be like, well, Tony's ground game is really good. Well, he used to be really good. But he seems to have, like, this is the part to me about Tony that I really have a hard time just looking the other way on. Like, do I think Tony still wants it? Yes, I do. I actually do think he still really wants it. Uh, but the question is, like, does his body still want it? And the other part, too, is, like, his mobility. You know, a yeah. lot of what Tony did before was based off of the quality of his movement. Even at haphazard ways or unusual ways, there was still... It was still rooted in some kind of strength or dynamism. And now it seems like even in the grappling department, a lot of that is lost. You go back to the Benil Dariush fight, like no one talks about this. That left knee he had reconstructed, Dariush appeared to shred when they did, uh, when he went for a heel hook. And Tony just kind of, as being Tony, gutted it out. But you can go back and you can see him screaming, like, like, ah, like when he's getting fucking heel hooked. You know, it's like, and then you go back to the Bobby Green fight, and he just had a hard time, like, literally moving. I don't know what Goggins has done for him. You know, I don't think puking in the bucket is the best thing in the world for him, but 
I'm not an MMA trainer, so I guess we're gonna see. Yeah, I but... mean, I, I can't, I can't say anything since I puked last night for a half hour after battle. Yeah, but you're not fighting so Patty on Sunday, you know, or Saturday or whatever. Yeah, but I'm just as washed as Tony right now. Maybe, maybe, Luke. Okay, maybe. I mean, dude, could you imagine trying to? Dude, and Tony's also what 40, 39, 40 in this weight class. Like, that's a terrible yeah. age to be. We just talked about Wonder Boy being old, but Wonder Boy's done, relatively speaking, a lot to preserve the dynamism of his movement. Tony just feels like he hasn't, like that knee injury. Remember when, dude, remember when it used to be that if you were running back in the NFL and you tore your ACL, your career was You're basically done. over? It was fucking over. That used to be in the NBA, too, in the yeah. early 90s, late 80s. You, you tore that ACL, you, like, you were, you're done. Or you had Tommy John surgery, which is a different kind of surgery for pitchers in the 90s. Dude, your career was cooked, and now, like, mercifully, that's not the case. But I do think we've lost a little bit of sight about what this does to movement quality. And Tony had all this unexpected kind of flow, and that's been really interrupted to say nothing of the physical damage he's taken over time. So listen, Patty is vulnerable. Patty is really, really, really vulnerable, and we should not lose sight of that. It's just who's more vulnerable, the guy who is young but very hittable or the guy who is very over the hill, relatively speaking, and has taken a tsunami of abuse through surgery, training, fights, and hasn't looked like himself in a long, long time. I, it's, it's, you probably are going to side with the youthful guy, all things being what they are. Well, when I mentioned that Tony sounds a little bit reborn, I went back and listened to the interview he did with Ariel about two months ago. And it, look, it, it could all be positive talk and BS, but he did go at length about <clears throat> a big mental sort of almost spiritual change of, of letting go of the past and not fighting angry and not fighting against the company and just kind of being back in a space where he can do it for himself and be happy. That doesn't necessarily equal a win. But there's so many questions about the 28-year-old Pimblet who's been off for a year and really has stepped away from the spotlight in a lot of ways as the repu as his reputation publicly has been questioned. That seems to play into the betting odds to some degree when we have Pimblet under FanDuel as a minus 330 favorite, plus 240 for Ferguson. So yes, questions abound. But Luke, when you go back and look at the Jared Gordon fight, which was a disputed unanimous decision, Decision victory for Pimblet. Everyone kind of thought it was like protecting, you know, like there was collusion and protecting the the big name fighter for the future. But dude, he was not able, Patty, to have the big time success on the ground against Gordon, who was able to really neutralize a lot of that. They were shouting out Coach Craig Jones on the broadcast when I rewatched it. So shout out to No Spears, just the same. Um, you mentioned Ferguson. He's not going to exploit that in the same way to neutralize Pimblet because yeah, he's got a great guard in terms of being a submission threat. But Tony always takes damage when he gets taken down, Luke. It's sort of like a prerequisite. I guess Tony always takes damage in general. That's why it's hard to watch him when he's old and aging. So all of that mumbling says this. Pimblet still should not only win this fight, he should finish him, correct? Ooh. Well, I don't know about... Why would he... Dude, uh, Darius didn't finish him. Uh, Oliveira didn't finish him. Why would Patty finish Fair? him? Fair, fair. Well, it's a little bit later in the game for Tony, fair. but fair, Luke, fair. Now, he's lost his last fair. three, right? So he got that horrible head kick against Michael Chandler. He got choked out by Nate, albeit he looked pretty good up until the last minute there, I would say. He looked bad against Bobby. I did not like the way he looked against Bobby. And then Charles and Benil went the distance with him, you know, each getting three takedowns. Uh, Chandler got a takedown on him, uh, and uh, that's about it. But, like, I'm looking at some of these numbers. Dude, Bobby Green beat the fucking bags off of him. Good Lord. He did. Listen to these numbers, dude. 137 strikes landed for Bobby. 
Tony 54. Tony 0 for 3 on takedowns. Just 13 seconds of control time. Bobby Green somehow had 3 minutes and 25 seconds. And this is the other part about Tony, dude. He's a headhunter, too. Which, by the way, that might serve him here a little bit. Patty just comes in like this, you know. Tony might be able to serve him up. He gets 70% of his strikes in the Bobby Green fight were to the head. Let me look at this one. Against Nate Diaz, who he landed 80 against. Uh, he targeted the head very little at all in that one, mostly to the leg. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how this one's going to go, but um, I'll say this. Inter- I'll say this. I'll say that. Go, you say this first. Go ahead. It is a, despite all my misgivings, it is a winnable fight for Tony. It is a, yes. and, I've ne- and I've not felt that way against anyone else he's fought basically since Gaethje. So that makes it to me a little bit more, actually significantly more interesting. But I'll say this. If he cannot beat Patty, truly, I don't know if he can beat anyone on the roster short of someone off the contender series. Like, I don't know what would be left for him at this point. If he you can't don't think Patty. he could beat, like, Bonterine or Alex Perez or... But those or, are flyweights, uh, dude. I know. They're on the roster. Oh. I didn't know how deep you were going with that. All right, here we go. Here we go. Okay, there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, so I was just going to say that as gross as this could be, I still support... This fact, it is good matchmaking. It's potentially sad yes, matchmaking, it is. but it is, yes, it is. It is good matchmaking. It's it, We have to see it. We also have to see this welterweight tilt that opens the pay-per-view card. Vicente Luque versus Ian Gary. Luke, I went on Craig Jones's B-Team merch site, and they do have this T-shirt with a big crown that says King Cuck. Do you think I can get it overnighted for my Ian Gary interview tomorrow? Just kidding, just kidding. Luke, a lot of talk about Gary that goes outside the cage. Bad teammate, all this about his marriage. And as you always say, F that. That's, that's not what we're here to talk Dude, about. I, I cannot wait to... for this fight to be over so I can stop talking about Ian Gary. Can I be honest about that? Like, wow, I, like... well, you're going to talk about him a lot if he wins, especially if he does by stoppage, because this welterweight title picture is going to get really fun. But the odds at this moment in what we do think will be a challenging, tough fight to large degree here yeah. is Gary minus 400 plus 285 Luke. Luke Luke might not be the same guy he was a couple years ago. He's had some legitimate physical setbacks, but these two also have a history of like working out together, sparring, and Luke has very nice things to say about Gary. At this point, why is Gary a four to one favorite? Um he's younger, rangier. Uh that fight against Magni which was, by the way, kind of interesting. That was mostly just like, uh, it's, I'm oversimplifying it, but it was mostly like a dynamic leg kicking game, right? Where he was taking him off his, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, did Gary take Magny off of his feet from the very first leg kick he landed? I think that might be like one of the very first ones, if not the first one. And Magny could really never recover. And then that's what that gave a little bit of freedom to Magny to work. I mean, here's the, I think this is the essential part, right? Luque did have a nice win over RDA, but I'm going to go back to it. RDA is just not well-suited for 170. He's tough and very, very, very talented, but I don't think 170 is the best place for him. So that's the first problem. Uh, The thing about Luque is obviously he had that brain issue and everything else. He's a boxer primarily. He can kickbox. He's got a great Darce and Anaconda, um, but he likes to fight in close range. Gary is rangy and can fight at very far apart, much more ably, and I honestly feel like that's what they're looking at here. They're looking at the age, looking at, well, not the age, sorry, because I think Luke is only 32. What I mean is the relative age difference. What, yeah. what is Gary, 25, 26, something like that? Uh, 
they're looking at that difference. They're looking at the miles Luque has occurred, but or accrued, excuse me. But more than that, it's how they do their best work. And Gary's able to do his best work at a much safer distance than Luque is. Luque puts himself much more in the fire um, unless he's wrestling to get that going. And, and then he and Gary has, from what I can tell, for the most part, pretty good takedown defense. So I think that's what they're kind of paying attention to. Also, Luke, you got you to remember, MMA loves to pick guys every once in a while that they fucking hate. Sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad, sometimes for a <laughs> mixture of them. You can't let that influence how you see the fight. You really have to put yeah. all that to the side. It's not to say that, that 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 weight might not be wearing on Gary by the time he fights. It could, but like, we don't know that. It could, it could fuel him, right? Put that to the side for just a second. What is happening in this contest? You've got a, a younger, quicker, rangier guy who's good at maintaining that range, has a dynamic kicking game, has virtually no miles on him, is undefeated against a guy who's got a documented brain issue, who is talented, but much more of a close-in pocket boxer. That's a that's I can understand why they would have not the size at which they have Gary a favorite, but I get why they have him as a favorite. Uh, Gary is he turned 26 last month, 15 and 0 overall as a professional. He's won all six of his UFC fights, looking really good. Uh, for the 32-year-old Luke, though, been a co tough couple of years. You mentioned that brain scare. There was also the decision loss to Bilal, the knockout loss, which followed that one to, uh, who was that again? Jeff Neal, excuse mm -hmm. me. And then the win over RDA, but an aging RDA. And that was also, Luke, let's not forget, last time we saw Luke, there was still a lot of talk about the brain injury, and he was fighting much safer. He was going for takedowns a lot more than we've seen. It wasn't the walk into traffic, Luke, we've come to know. So maybe that against the, the young riser really sets the odds are at what they are have you seen any holes though in the game of ian machado gary up to this point that you think s some veteran may be able to expose on his own journey up to the title song game? keenan got two takedowns against him i wonder to what extent that could be more thoroughly tested also this is just a personal theory and i can't really justify this so i'm going to give you my hunch and that might just be worth absolutely nothing but i'm just going to give it to you I tend to believe that there are two kinds of guys who really prioritize a really rangy kickboxing game. Let's assume in both cases, they're just naturally built that way, right? So it's not like one is short and stout and one is tall. Let's assume they're all tall and rangy. One of them is like somebody who's got a game where they just really have a very dynamic kicking game and that's just the place they do their best work. And they could fight in other ranges, but they prefer to because they, they really have such an advantage there. I think that describes Ian Gary a little bit, or actually to, to a decent extent. By the way, he's also got a good left high kick. So he's standing in orthodox. He can flick his left uh, high kick up very, very quickly with almost no tell. Remember, he finished off, I think, with a head kick KO, right? Um, D-Rod. Uh, I have to go back and double check exactly how he did yes, it, but I think yes. that's right. Um, head kick and then he gro ground and pounded yeah, fin finished him off yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so first round two three minutes in first round so that's one kind of fighter there's another kind of fighter who prefers to fight at that range who is to me overly risk averse and afraid of contact so you have to decide is that ian gary or is that not ian gary now it's kind of weird to be like well if a guy's a pro fighter how could they be afraid of contact you know it's it's sort of like seems inherently contradicting but these fighters and these types they do exist. They just don't want to compete in these kind of close ranges where if you're lanky, a lot of lanky guys are good when the fight is at distance, um, you know, putting up some kind of threat or barrier to keep someone out of it. But if they really can't and someone's deep on the inside of them, 
it really flusters them and they lose their perspective and they have really no other place to go. They hate, like imagine if Ian Gary, not had to fight Mike Tyson, but a shorter Mike Tyson guy who had a peekaboo style who could get in there, what it would do to him, right? Like what it would do to him. And I don't mean just physically, I mean like mentally, the way in which it would un, it would rattle him. It would unsettle him. And so I can't quite tell where Gary falls in that line. He is a talented kickboxer for MMA. That is, I don't think, too much in doubt. But there is a small part of me that wonders if Luke really, really does a better job at cage cutting. What does Gary do if he is backed up against the fence? Does he just defensively shell because he has no real offense from that part of the game? Because that's what ends up happening. The guys who are risk averse and afraid of that closer contact, they end up being just inherently defensive all the time because they don't really have any other way to go. We shall see. I think Luke is actually a pretty good test to see where we are with that. Yeah, I like this fight, and I do think, Luke, winning can really fix a lot of the outside of the ring chatter, outside of the cage chatter. That's why if Paddy goes out there and finishes Tony, even with that sad element, I don't think we're going to be talking about Jared Gordon as much anymore. You know, you got to get back in line and get a win. If Gary gets a win here, especially if he does it in the kind of finishing way that shows you title contention is very much in his future, we might not be talking anymore about bad teammate, cuck, and all that other BS. And it is BS, you're right. But... I caught up with Mike Owens Media this week, Luke, our friend in the liver, in the media space out of Liverpool. He asked me an interesting question. He said, knowing essentially that Gary is sort of a a personality that wants to be a breakout star, right? I mean, he's he openly sort of copied Connor's moves as a tribute and sort of channeled that. He was pondering whether I believed, and now I want to ask you the same question, that Gary played into some of this this week because we did see a lot of videos leaked of weird conversations and you're like, how are those getting out? I mean, do you think that all that, you know, there's no such thing as a bad headline when you're trying to be a, a, a somebody who just disrupts the market and makes their name? You think he played into this at all? Or you, again, you don't, you couldn't give No, it. no. I think this part of the conversation to me is interesting. Like, I got to be honest, like, I don't give a shit about any of these fighters' marriages. Like, I just... I just don't care. I mean, I, I and I'm not doing this like I'm so great. I don't care. Like, no, I'm trying to be like clear with you. Like, I, on the amount of time I have in my day that's awake, the idea that we should spend time examining any of these fighters' marriages to me seems so fucking stupid and insane. I can barely wrap my head around it. But this part to me actually is kind of interesting. Now, it turns out that Vicente Luque one was Ian Gary like leaked a por- or, 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 or I should say published a portion of their conversation because leaked is not the right word, BC. It turns out he actually asked Vicente if he could uh, publish some of the things that they had exchanged in terms of voice messages, and Vicente had no problem with it. So yeah. that's not the same. But have you heard this consistent kind of uh, drumbeat about Gary everywhere he goes? There's one kind of common denominator you always hear, which is he's always got cameras with him. He's always got cameras with him. Mm. Have you heard that? All the different yeah. guys, Brendan Allen brings it up. Uh, you know, Leon Edwards brought it up. I mean, so many different guys have brought up that like, everything is recorded for this public display. And again, dude, to the extent you share stuff private about your life publicly, the public is going to take it in, in any direction that they want. And you may or may not like that. So you have to exercise some discretion about that. And I don't think he's really done that. And so you do wonder, like, what are the motivations behind someone who's got that much zeal for blurring or eliminating the line between his public and personal life? Now, what you can say is, on the one hand, BC, um, in MMA, people will be like, oh, my God, I hate Ian Gary. But, of course, everyone's going to be tuned in to watch him, uh, in their mind, hopefully lose, right? Yes. Gonna, they want to see him lose. Like, that's very, very good for his business. So maybe he gets the last laugh. On the other hand, the other argument would be, if you've got someone who's got this kind of Truman Show desire 
at all times, they're trying to fill some kind of psychological need that they might have for attention that tells you like that's their actual priority and not the priority yeah. on training. We shall see as his young career develops. This sounds similar to the great speech you gave in MK Donkumentary number five about my need, Luke, to control the narratives in Cleveland and put people in certain spaces and force them to act a certain way that would play into the doc. Yes, story. you have I the remember. undercurrents of need for you are extraordinary. Yeah. Oh yeah, I need, I need, I need a lot. Luke, I mean, right? I need, hey, I, like, I need, let's be honest. I need love. The undercurrents like, of need, need for me are 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 very visible as well. Like, <laughs> let he who is without sin cast the first stone. But in terms of Indeed. being a pro fighter, I when a bunch of other pro fighters are like, oh, this dude's always got cameras with him. That's not automatically a red flag, but it's definitely something to pay attention to. Luke, let's go quickly down the rest of this card. Your ESPN featured sort of uh, prelim main event is Josh Emmett against late replacement Bryce Mitchell. We talked about what, how much we love this this fight in a lot of ways. Great style clash too. Is there anything at stake here? I mean, it, it's not loser leaves town or anything like that, but Emmett's getting up in age, been through the wars. This could be a very good redemptive win for him. And, you know, Bryce Mitchell maybe could use the same thing. Bryce Mitchell, I thought, did a great job in his win over Dan Ige. To me, he did a great job redeeming himself off that terrible loss to Taporia. To me, this is more about Emmett. I mean, dude, Bryce Mitchell's doing the UFC a solid. He's coming in here, taking on a tough guy with a big punch on short notice after already redeeming himself. If he loses, I don't think it's the end of the world, right? Because he didn't get a full camp. We know the whole story. It's much more about Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett is a background as a wrestler. He is older. I think he's 38, 39, something like that. So he's long in the tooth, but he should be able to stop the takedowns you would think of Bryce Mitchell uh, and then be able to like, execute his game, dot, 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 unless he has also fallen off a cliff. We shall yeah. see. Minus 220, Bryce Mitchell, your FanDuel betting favorite, plus 168 is Emmett. And quickly look up and down. Uh, Irene Aldana, Irene Aldana, whatever you, however you want to pronounce it correctly, uh, age 35, which you know puts her in discussion in Luke Thomas's welterweight stat. She also really needs to come back. I don't think you can crack an egg and then put it back together, Luke, but she laid one against uh, Amanda Nunes, and we've been harsh on that. Carol Hosa is her opponent here to try to put it back together and get back on track. You wonder if Aldana can get a huge win. Does she suddenly become a big factor again in the women's bantamweight rankings considering where dog, that division dog. is I mean, she went from the main event to not even the main event of the prelims you're right yeah you're right no. yeah cody carbrandt versus boom kelleher interesting matchup same by the way brian kelleher having neck surgery the same kind i think that aljamain had where they have to come through the throat almost like a tracheotomy to do it dude and he's coming back against Cody Garbrandt. And I know what everyone's going to say. Cody Garbrandt's got this flaw. He's got that flaw. Dude, he still has a big fucking punch. Um, yes, he does. That's a, that's, a, that's a sleeper fight on this card. That is very, very interesting. Mikey's saying that's the uh, the fight that Dana White let that fan make, the new fan that the new fan matchmaker that they hired. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good uh, friend. That's, that's a good one. I like fight. that one. Yeah, yeah. Also, Luke, Mikey, in our CBS Sports Editorial Picks League that you're not in where we do the full calendar year, the winner gets a buttload of cash. Mikey is in first place entering the final week. We're all about to pick apart, and he's picked Tony Ferguson to upset Ooh. and Vicente Luque to upset. Has your producer lost his mind? No, I mean, if he's in first place, he might have. I mean, look, listen, who the fuck are we to hand out betting advice? I not mean, you. <laughs> not you, dude. Not you. Not you. I mean, all let's right. be serious. Not you either, bitch. You're sub 500. Where you think you're some yeah, fucking king of the hill? Yeah, but people know that. Hold on. People but where, know hold on, that Hold on. Answer me. my question. Where are you in this other league that you guys conspicuously did not invite me to? 
I believe I'm in, first of all, you never would have shown up and you would have argued to change the rules and not cared for most of the year and then tried to argue to extend the deadline. But uh, it was, I'm in second place, I think a pick off. Oh, One okay. So off. you're right. Who, who else is in like Brant and, and Brandon and shit? Yeah, Brent Brookhouse, our, our senior editor, Brandon Wise, a couple of I mean, here's the uh, thing. Mikey, Mikey told us he made some of these picks off of like, I'm not going to say spite, but like, it's more than vibes. You know what I mean? He's putting vibes with a Z. Vibes with a Z. Yeah, he's he said he's got sixty six percent correct this calendar year. We only do pay per view main card fights, so that's what it is. Yeah. Hey, I gotta cut you off and keep going here because we gotta close with a strong fan submissions. Right. We've been we've been cheating you people out lately, but a quick reminder, Luke, do we want to give away the full Monty about Saturday night? Yes, do it now. Okay, here's the deal: Saturday night UFC two ninety six. Before that, Luke Thomas and I will be in the studio in Jersey City. To call the prelims for the final Showtime Championship boxing card after 37 years, David Morrell Jr., the super middleweight secondary title holder, will take on Senna Akbeko in the main event on the championship card. Luke Thomas and I will call the prelims, but after that comes to a conclusion, what do you think we have around and do a UFC 296 pay-per-view main card live companion show? How about that? And, I like them apples. And a post-fight show. Hey, and, and we always thought, every time we step in that studio, we're like, this could be the last time. Luke, that's actually, yeah. officially, the last time we will So when we that did that studio. last show, what was it? Not this past Monday, but the one previous. We are like, this could be the last time because we didn't know if we were going to be here this following Saturday, the 16th. And then we finally got the green light to go. This is it. Like, there is no other date. Yes. There's, I mean, once, once we're done on Saturday, that studio ceases to exist. May it rest in peace. Yes, I can't. Again, I can't decide whether we should burn the building on the way out or just blow up the commodes. Here, here's what I'm going to do. Here's one. what I'm going to do. I'm going to uh, not flush the toilet in the hallway, and I'm going to eat at Taco Bell that night. So make make no oh, mistake boy. about that. And you already warned me. Don't complain about my constant air biscuiting around the studio. Yeah. All right. Hey. Morningcombat at gmail.com is your email address. You already know about these fan subs. We've been delinquent lately. Let's hit it. We've got angry male viewers. There we go. Woo! You've got mail. Viewers. All righty then. David Appleton sliding oh, in. God. Hi, guys. Given you both have a, a losing shot? record on... <laughs> Given you both have a losing record on OK Bet, I decided to bet against all your predictions this weekend. <laughs> Unfortunately, French betting sites only had the main card, so I couldn't benefit from Misha or Cody Bundridge's finishes, but it was still... Oh, so this is two weeks finishes. ago. Yes, yeah. but it was still an interesting experiment. Here's a video proving I made the bets before the fights, followed by a photo with the results. Abby claims he went 4-1 and one with a net gain of mm. 24 euros betting against us. Not bad for a first try. Please, can you do okay bet again next year? Hey, we're just trying to finish off this year without Luke leaving or quitting, all no, right? No, we'll I'm do it hoping... again next year. But next year, what we're going to do is, here's my idea for next year, BC, to avoid any mess. We're going to write down the rules like on paper, and we're going to oh, sign oh, a dude. deal. Uh, yes, I am already forcing you okay. to sign a contract okay. on every important Fair decision Fair moving enough. forward. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, Appy closes by saying, I'm hoping to give up my day job and Where go Where the fuck is this picture? I'm sugardaddy.com. Thanks to my winnings. Uh, Donk of the okay, year still guys, swinging. Here Here's Appy. I've got my luxury Appy merch wine glass here going. So let's get some dodgy French rose here. Uber Eats rose. And then we're going to look at these bets. So. Uh, basically, uh, Brian bet on Gastelum, so I'm going with Sean Brady. If you look up here, 
I think it was Luke who said that this this fight, Serrano Stolfus, would be um, a KO or sub or would, would end before the distance. I don't know. So I'm going with goes to a decision. That's the French combat à son terme. Goes to a decision. Let's keep going. Uh, somebody, one of the two, can't remember who, bet on Rob Font. So I'm going for Davis and Figueredo. Again, I think it's Luke went for Bobby Green, so I've got Jalen Turner here. And both of you numpties went for Benil Dariush, so I'm going massively in on Armin Sarukian. So I'm going to play what they call a Canadian, which means you've got um, uh, all the combinations of all these five results, uh, except for the singles. And that's 26 euros. Uh, and if it, if it all comes off, I'll get 160 hoping to at least make a few a few euros ready to go okay squids in okay okay hold on two two things two things number one is there no quality control anymore on yeah. this Luke? Two, two, two things two things first of all this drunk uh i didn't pick bobby green straight up against jalen turner we had to pick a fucking underdog on the card right so like it's not, it, these are not heads up. It's just you have to find someone who's underdog and then pick that one. Okay, so that's the first. Look, one. he's drinking uh, rosé out yeah. of a make fan Dude, subs great again. He's mug, got the right? British accent of someone you know who mispronounces anybody's name that's like at all ethnic. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're from anywhere, last houses, bro. Huh? Last houses over here. All right. If you're from like somewhere in Asia, like it, it, yeah, but in a racist way. You know what I mean? Like intentionally mispronouncing it, and then someone corrects you, you're like bah. All right, let's go. All right, there we go. Uh, let's go over to CG Lunds. He said, found this on BC's Instagram. This must be that personal trainer he keeps going on about. I believe his name is <laughs> Suma Jerry. Yeah, could you? I mean, I don't know how to pronounce Suma Darji's name correctly either, but it's definitely not Sumo Jerry. We could say that with great confidence. Wow, that's brilliant stuff there from uh, C.G. Lunds. And don't be talking bad about my guru, my personal trainer, Darren Robinson. Luke, don't do that. He'll Shasta kick your Darren. ass, all right? Yeah, he looks like Keith Jardine. This guy's great. i got to bring him on the show here. Uh, let's go to Nathan. He says, I have found the greatest MK Donk restroom ever, but we call it a dunny where I come from on holiday in Hawaii. Thank me later, you washed up old has-beens. I don't know if that's necessary, Nathan. I mean, these are a lot of shots being taken unfairly. All right, what do we got here? Oh, fucking Oh, a. boy. Oh, oh God. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. Oh, my God. Is that, is that Egg Chen in there? Dude, egg Chen? holy shit, man. Damn. Egg Chen, by the way, <clears throat> not Chen. Yeah. Big trouble, little a-hole. Look at this, Luke. This is great. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the greatest bathroom wallpaper I've ever seen. By yes. the way, there's a local yes. restaurant. They changed their name here in D.C. They went with, and I hate the name, Big Trouble in Little Japan. I'm like, oh, that's a little bit interesting and maybe raised. I don't know. I'm wearing white sweatpants and just poured half my coffee cup in my crotch. Luke, this is great. I mean, I'm just I don't know how I get through. life. Just tell your wife you shit your pants somehow in the front. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, It's my all the smoke white uh, sweatsuit outfit. Luke, it's great. Uh, Congratulations, by the way, on all the smoke. Uh, Did you see the big news? Luke, they signed. uh, 
They signed a big yeah, deal. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're killing solo. it in every way that, you know, anybody can. Absolutely. So. Shout out to those Love guys. those guys. Shout out to Stack 5 over there. Uh, this is Alex. He says, I found this as one of the many spam ads at the end of a news article. This one from The Hill Publication. I'm not sure what's going on, but perhaps BC has a separated at birth <laughs> twin brother that actually studied in college and became a pharmacist. Wow. I got to tell you, the guy in that picture is definitely not somebody who studied in college. Let's be very clear about that. Yeah, yeah. This guy, guy, this guy uh, looks like he has absolutely uh, masturbated yes. at a Wendy's before. He has evolved from the Arby's parking lot doing whippets to Van down by the river. No question about it. Uh, this is Henry. He says, hey, Luke and BC, and I know you're not reading this. Here's a throw. I am reading this. Here's a, oh, he's talking about Mikey. Here's a throwback to one of Luke's favorite Christmas memories, his knockoff winter shoes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Those are yes. it, dude. Those are it. Can you imagine Winters. showing up to school with these fucking shoes? And the hell oh. I had to catch because right. of this? Are you are you, you out? Of, do Sears? you have any idea? And dude, this let me explain something to you. This was in 1980s Washington D.C. Do you think I got <laughs> anything other than mercilessly mocked? Yeah, Th those aren't that ugly, dude. When I when I look back at all like the like I had those L.A. gears in seventh grade and got made fun of. They had double laces, one black lace, one white lace. Yeah. Each lace was double laced. Luke, it was the worst shoe ever. This shoe is like okay. Yeah, but the back of it, the back of it says the winner shoe on it, and it's like you're the loser. You're the loser. You know. Well, my L.A. gear shoe on the tongue said, "Got it all for basketball," <laughs> and I remember I was excited because like. Like, my parents didn't have a lot of money when I was in middle school. We went through some hard times, and I had to wear, like, you know, $26 L.A. gears where everybody else was wearing, like, $80, $100 Nikes. And I was, like, excited that at least I'm on – okay, these aren't cool, but at least they're not a train wreck. Luke, turns out they were a train yeah. wreck. We, but, we, we, know, I was yeah. there with you, buddy. I got made fun of all my life for my shoes, man, until I became an all adult. Right. This one's from Nikita. Uh, Privet, you bleached whales. I might be the only Russian fan the show has. My name is Nikita. I was born and raised in Russia, but I've been in the U.S. for 10 years. I live in Philly. I used to roll, and these days I box a little. Hey, Mikey and the rest of MK, if that, if this is too long, call me out. Okay. Fun fact. I knew Luke from his breakdowns, and the first MK show I watched was Luke's apology after he got 30-24'd by Las Vegas Margaritas. I thought I'd have a charity tax break because of how miserable and old you two are, and while that hasn't checked out on my tax returns, I fell in love with the show anyways. Jokes aside, I've been struggling a lot lately. I only see my family once a year, and being fresh out of college in my 20s, I struggle to find myself. I remember how a Navy SEAL once said that when you struggle through Hell Week, you need to find simple milestones to get to, just like eating a meal. For me, MK three times a week is a fun way to remind me that I'm getting through my week. Thank you for the amazing work. These two memes are sort of what I had thought of. That was a long message, but we love you, Nikita. What do you got for us? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much true. 35 and, oh, and older. Oh, that's you're, hilarious. That's you're hilarious. off of LT's uh, toy chest. What else you got, Nikita? Me creating fake Me cre emails. Yeah. I, I, by the way, I don't know where... I, I, what's your vibe on tomorrow? I have a very down vibe. I don't think we're winning yeah, jack so shit tomorrow. We haven't talked about it a lot, and we thank everybody who voted for us, but tomorrow night, Las Vegas, the Sahara Hotel, I don't know where it's going to be streaming. In the past, it was ESPN+, Plus, but the World MMA Awards are back. Shout out to Fight Mag. Magazine. We are nominated for the third straight year Best MMA Media. I hope we win, Luke. It's no, no, no. Best uh, MMA Programming. Best MMA Programming. Thank you. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't expect us to do it. I, I, I but 
it would be so redemptive because we have risen from some ashes of the midpoint this year. Dude, the fact really here's the thing: yet. winning awards would be great, but the fact that we even survived this year is the yeah. only award that we need. To be honest with you. Luke, do you feel what Nikita said, though? He he moved to the States from Russia. The family's not around, but MK's like his companion. I un- I appreciate and understand him. Yes. Yeah. Nikita, we're your family. Okay? We are your family. Thank you. Uh, this one's from Two Changs. You know this guy, South Oregon mm-hmm. bird, Luke. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's see it. What do we got here? It was a great night at the comedy store. Grandmas were grabbing asses, and comedians and former fighters were giving me their carnassada fight picks. Nothing could possibly ruin this great night. Leon, baby. Leon, Leon, baby. Leon, 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 hey. Knock him out. I gotta go Kobe Covington on this one. I got to. Kobe? This is my, my spirit right now. And then came the horrible news. We interrupt your programming with horrible tragic news. Smart fences died from a crack overdose. Celebrities all over the world paid their respects instantly. Smart cage, hold it down, PFL, baby. Everyone paid their respects except for one man. Smart fence is hooked on crack. <laughs> they didn't let me interview the smart cage. They didn't. They didn't think that was very funny when I asked. So long, smart fence. I hope there's crack for you in heaven. <laughs> Luke, that guy always cracks me up. I don't. I, do, do you accept this piece of uh, fan merch, fan sub? Yeah, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little out there, but he's a little out there, so I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to that guy at the comedy store too. I was looking for a truck in the parking lot, Luke. Craig, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. A little old deep dive on that one. A little, little deep cut. Uh, yeah, Luke. This one's from Kevin. He says, "Just wanted to send this in quickly. Ed- this is a quickly edited video showing Luke being a dirty." hypocrite okay when he had weeks to go and thought he could catch up he had no problem with the contest of okay bet ending december 16th yes but now that he's so far behind with only one event left he wants to extend the contest yes kevin let's watch your video and even though luke we enter now entering the final week of this okay bet. I want to talk about that Ooh. final week. I don't think it should be the final week. I think we should bet the last of it. We've got, we've got, hold on. Boy. We've got Noya Inouye. We go. We've got Noya. We we've go. got Noya Inouye fighting, who is either going to be fighter of the year or, you know, what? We're not doing, we're not changing the terms of the motherfucking punishment. The punishment oh, is what it is. I'll do it. Dude, how am I changing the terms when you're stopping the contest when fights continue? Because finish the fucking year. Finish the fucking year. The contest. That's why. But... Nah. Nah. Hey. Nah. We're Let me ask you a question. So the last big UFC event of the week of the year, excuse me, is December sixteenth. Assuming there are other events after that, like like I, I don't even know, but like a Ryzen event or KSW event, are we going to count those? Well, uh, let's talk about this now. On the twenty third of December, you're going to get that big Wilder Fury boxing pay per view. And yeah. on the 26th, you're going to get uh, Niowa Inoue, who's going to be a monster favorite, the monster against Topolis to unify titles there at 122. Um, I don't think that is enough for, like, one week of stuff. Is there fight night cards or any other major? Oh, when's the uh, PFL championship? That's 25th. 25th of this month, which, by the way, I applied for credentials to that, so I should be going. Oh, I hope that Smart Cage denies you, Luke. Denies <laughs> you. <laughs> 
Sorry, you can't get in. <laughs> yes, disassemble. Yes, disassemble. Uh, I'm saying that maybe we end it with the December 16th UFC card. Maybe that's our championship end lot final because we may go into that week, you know, two or three games apart, two or three picks apart. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, we'll have to talk about this with Mikey, but it, it's it might be December 16th might be the last one. So we've got about, about a month left or so. Uh, we'll have to talk about this with Mikey, but it, it's it might be December 16th might be the last one. So we've got about, about a month left or so. <laughs> Luke, you dirty, filthy hypocrite. I said might. I said might. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Wow. Oh, that's just like you. That is just like you. And we agreed. Here, here's not here's, to here's go how further. we're going to avoid this problem next year, right? Everything's going to be in writing. No questions asked. Bing, bang, boom. I, I need, Mikey and I should construct a documentary about how difficult it was to get you to agree to do okay bet how little you cared about the rules from the beginning how week to week you phoned in picks that weren't even legal and we kind of fought you or pushed through and now you're trying to change it at the end yeah why don't you cry Damn. more can you, you gonna make a documentary about you Damn. bitching and crying is that what it's gonna be what's it called Damn. bc cries and bitches bitching All yeah right, bc got... bitching and crying there you go there we go. Uh, wow. Wow. Okay. I think we got one more fan sub to close out. Here we go. Uh, this is from JP. Jay Paquette. He says, good day, MK Nation. Luke, he's back. This is our first Canadian Kodonk fan submission from JP and the unrelated brother, Mark Paquette, who's also a big MK fan in, in Canada, to our merch master extraordinaire, RJ Fingerbanger. We ask <laughs> that you consider the following new MK lotion. Please rebrand re and select this person to be the face of the product. May we present Appy's Happy Hour <laughs> Lotion. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. Who's more familiar with such products and who better to help lube up the endless dry spell of fans? Oh, oh my God. Than our very own toxic roast culture POS, David Appleton. Holiday special offer. If you order soon, we'll talk we'll toss in Appy's <laughs> sloppy second shower gel number nine out of ten innocent and unsuspecting students recommend it. Dude. Message to Appy. Look, okay, this is JP talking to Appy here. Looking forward to your end of the year insults, your horrible songs, and your guitar play. You are such a talent, my friend. Please bring your worst, LOL. All in good fun, and as we know, it's only business. Didn't Connor say that once? Love you guys. Keep up the amazing winning show. It's your MK Kodonk of the year, JP, with Mark Paquette. Luke, you know full well the unfortunate feud that has begun between these co-donks of the year from last year and how they're not on speaking terms anymore. Are you in for this crossfire back and forth? That's one of the best fan subs I've ever seen. That is one of my personal favorites. I Can really, we show it really again? Because like I had to read that that thing through it. Can we show it one more Very time? Very quickly. And we go, then we'll unbelievable. go. Dude, look at my face and look at yours. I mean, inter wow. the Interpol on the car is the best part. That is really wow. incredible. So the so the, the the cop car is being driven by I think Mark Paquette. That's JP next to him and Appy in the back seat. Unbelievable. We'll find out later this month who wins Donk of the Year in 2023. Thank you guys so much for the fan subs. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Thank you to our great producer, Mikey Mormile, CBS Sports, our director, Janita, who were who was uh behind the scenes helping out here on CBS Sports, and also Luke Thomas. We remind the folks of a couple things. Morningcombat.store, get your hot merch today. Thank you, including the MK Jerkins. And don't forget, Saturday night, 
YouTube.com slash Morning Combat, your UFC 296 live companion show, followed by your Morning Combat instant analysis. Going to be a great time. Luke, do you have anything else to say to the people on this Wednesday? Thanks for all the fan subs. Reminder about Saturday. Catch us on the very last prelims for the very last Showtime boxing event. And then one more time, we're going to do a watch-along that you can watch with us. And we're going to do a post-fight show the last time, for real, for real, the last time in studio. Be there on Saturday. Thank you very much. Two words. We are out.